Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's edition of Health Matters. Well, this evening we'll be focusing on endometriosis and infertility, and I'm joined in studio this evening by Dr. Paul LaRue, and he's a reproductive medicine specialist at the Cape Fertility Clinic in Cape Town. Dr. LaRue, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Corin. It's really a great pleasure to be here. Well, if you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 2010. And the reason why, one of the reasons we're doing endometriosis this evening is that today is the last day of the Endometriosis Awareness Week. It was from the 5th to the 11th. And it's one of those conditions that I think not that many of us know about. But if you knew the statistics that one in 10 women suffer from endometriosis and it's not the most pleasant condition to be suffering with. So Dr. LaRue is going to be talking us through this this evening. I think before we start, for those who aren't aware, and by all accounts there should be very few people that aren't aware because almost every woman is practically one in ten, what exactly is it? Okay, endometriosis is a condition that affects women in their reproductive years and the main two symptoms are going to be pelvic pain and infertility. And as you said, it's, a, it's an extremely common condition. At least one in ten women in the whole population have it. But if you actually look at women who have fertility problems, um, they estimate about 35 to 50% of them have got endometriosis. And women that have very uh, severe period pain, um, again, more than 50% of them will have this condition. So it's a condition basically that causes inflammation inside the pelvis. So inside the sort of organs of the pelvis, not the bones, but the organs, the, the womb and the ovaries and the bladder and the rectum, all the organs that sit inside the pelvis. There's an inflammatory um, condition where you get um, different color little lesions, red and black and white lesions inside the pelvis. And this causes um, inflammation and it gets worse um, once a month. Normally when a woman has a period, the inflammatory lesions get worse and it causes more pain. And um, basically, um, so it causes serious period pain, causes also pain sometimes when um, couples have intercourse together and it can damage the structures inside the pelvis so the woman has infertility. And I was reading somewhere that it can take up to eight years to be diagnosed. Yes, I think this is one of the reasons that we're talking tonight. Um, it, you know, it's, it's a World Endometriosis Awareness Week, and one of the problems is that both amongst patients and doctors, um, there's not enough awareness about the condition of endometriosis. And the this means that when women go to their doctor and say, I've got this problem, I'm having pelvic pain, it's not taken seriously. They're just given some painkillers and told, don't worry, it'll be fine, or, you know, you're just anxious or something like that. And women suffer with this for many, many years. They keep going to one doctor after another. And even with certain gynecologists don't understand always the need to investigate quickly. And it's been shown that the average time it takes from first going to see doctors to actually make somebody making the definite diagnosis is about eight years, which is really too long. It means that women don't get treatment quickly enough, and um, very often um, the wrong treatments are done as well. Just to remind you, you're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. If you have any questions for us this evening, the number is 0892 10 2010. 2010. Is this something that starts at a particular stage in a woman's life or does this start for women who have endometriosis, does it start at the very beginning when they start their first period? Yes, it starts at the same time your period starts, but it takes a little while to develop. So most women probably present in their 20s. Um, in severe cases, it'll present even in the teens. So you can get some 
young girls even in in high school or just finished school who have um, serious period pain when you do a laparoscopy procedure which is um, the the way that we diagnose this condition um, it's a small operation where you put a camera through the belly button to look inside and uh, you will see the endometriosis in them now we've been diagnosed what is the next step after that okay the the diagnosis, um, just to say that, you know, the, the, the final way of diagnosis is by laparoscopy, which is an operation to put a camera and look inside. But there are sometimes clues um, that the doctors will find before that. When the doctor examines you, there's certain things that a gynecologist can find. They can find scar tissue. They can sometimes feel nodular scar tissue. An ultrasound um, examination can sometimes see a cyst on the ovary that's typical of endometriosis. But unfortunately, these symptoms and signs that the doctor finds are not that specific. So it might um, raise an awareness that there might be something there. But the final diagnosis can only be made at laparoscopy. Once you do that laparoscopy procedure and look inside and find endometriosis, then you've got various different options in terms of treatment. And what we do mainly is to first work out what the patient actually needs. Are they having a fertility problem and they want a baby, which in case we'll go in a certain direction, which is normally either surgically fixing the disease or removing it, um, or um, we do um, fertility treatments like IVF, the test tube baby type of treatment. And in patients who've got pain, we can also try and remove it surgically, or we can use various medical treatments for them. Now, talking about medical treatments, there was quite a breakthrough. I think it was announced last year. It was the first new medication for endometriosis in over 20 years. What was that all about? Okay, the treatments for endometriosis have always been quite difficult for various reasons. Um, they have quite a lot of um, side effects in the past, and some of them are very expensive. Um, and the treatments would vary from a simple thing, just like putting the patient on a contraceptive pill, which will reduce the pain a little bit, but often not enough to um, help in patients with um, very serious endometriosis. And then the more strong drugs, um, for example, there's an injection that one can use which switches off the ovarian function and almost makes a patient go into a menopausal state, even though they're young. And this is excellent. The endometriosis will then resolve and so on. But these uh, medications were very expensive and um, had quite a lot of side effects as well. And there hadn't been really much research done for a long, term, long time in terms of developing a new medication. And last year, there was a new medication uh, released on the market. It's just a simple tablet, so it's easy to take. It's fairly inexpensive, just a couple of hundred rand or something like that per month. And um, it's a, a progesterone type of hormone, and it's been shown to really help with endometriosis. Um, the research study showed a vast reduction in the pain scores that the patients had. And um, they showed actually laparoscopy as well. If you looked with the camera, you could actually see these little lesions shrinking away. So there was scientific evidence that it was helping the disease and it really helped a lot with the patient's pain and suddenly we had an affordable um, drug that we could offer women. Is this something that women would use instead of having surgery or is, are those two completely separate things? Yeah, I think one of the problems at the moment is that um, it's a difficult um, type of surgery to do and there's only certain doctors that are very skilled in doing this type of surgery. It's normally done by gynecologists but even within the gynecological community, you need to do an extra few years of specialized training with camera surgery. So there's only a few doctors actually that are very good at doing this. So most of the doctors, unfortunately, 
don't complete the surgery well enough that the patient keeps going backwards and forwards to the doctor and having repeat surgery. I was going to ask you about that because when I've spoken about endometriosis before, people have always said, but you know, I've been once and I'm on my third surgery and it's sort of this cycle of, so you're saying it's not necessary that people should have to be going through all these multiple surgeries? No, I think it's actually um, one of the biggest problems that we face and we actually spend a lot of time um, trying to educate um, doctors, not just patients, but doctors in terms of endometriosis surgery. Because we found that the more surgeries that you do, every time you remove this disease around the ovary, you also take a bit of normal ovarian tissue out as well. And what that does is slowly reduce fertility more and more. And when the young woman decides that she wants a baby, then there's, we really have a serious problem trying to get her pregnant because there's hardly any egg cells left inside the ovary. So it's quite clear that repeated surgery is not a good idea. And um, the idea is really to get a surgeon who's very, very skilled in this area to do this type of surgery where they'll be a little bit more careful with the ovarian structure. And secondly, to use these medications in between to try and keep the pain at bay so that the patient doesn't need to keep having um, operations. So things are a lot better than what we thought they could possibly be. Now, when, before we came on air, you mentioned to me that you're the president of the Reproductive Medicine Society of South Africa. Now, these are doctors that specialize in this form of surgery. So if people are looking for the right kind of doctor or the specialist that deals with endometriosis surgery, you would suggest that they would look on this website and find a doctor closest to them. Yes, the, the way it works in, in gynecology is that you get a general gynecologist, that's people who delivers babies and does gynecological surgery, but there are certain subgroups um, of doctors who go further. They do another two years in an academic center and do another qualification in reproductive medicine where they learn two main areas. The one thing would be learning all about advanced fertility treatment like IVF, and the other area is um, doing camera surgery where you make small incisions like keyhole surgery in the abdomen. And there you learn to do these difficult cases of endometriosis. So ideally, if you're a patient um, and you've got endometriosis, you want to try and access one of these doctors who's highly skilled in endometriosis surgery. And generally, you can find them in, in fertility clinics. Most of the fertility clinics will have specialists in this area. And the other um, gynecologists as well, um, general gynecologists, who also have developed a skill in this area as well. But one of the ways of finding out where to go, um, you can look at the Reproductive Medicine Society um, website. Um, the society's acronym is SASREG, it's S-A-S-R-E-G. And if you just Google SASREG, um, the website will come up and you, all the accredited clinics are listed there. And a patient, wherever they are in the country, can find a doctor who's very skilled in this um, surgery. Just a reminder, you're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key, and this evening we're joined in the studio by Dr. Paul LaRue, and he's a reproductive medicine specialist at the Cape Fertility Clinic in Cape Town, and we're talking about endometriosis as well as infertility. If you have any questions, call us now on 0892 10 2010. Now we've spoken about this particular website, but there's some. There's another organisation called uh, which then their website is endpain.co.za, yes. and that I think for people with endometriosis is the ultimate goal: ending the pain. That's correct, yeah. And that's more of a patient support group. Yes, I think end pain is a good way to start for a patient um, who doesn't really understand much about the disease because. As a patient with any medical condition, when you first get a diagnosis, it's a very, very, fairly scary um, prospect and you don't quite know what it means or where to look and so on. And in pain, um, 
uh, is a it's a website, but on there there's information uh, for patients to give them some background about the disease, where they can just sit at home on their um, on their PC or whatever and and look at the information about endometriosis, and it's good information that's there, and they will also link from there onto various. Um, places that the patient go to seek medical specialists in this area. Now that is actually the website of the Endometriosis Society of South Africa. And yes. they are, if you on the front page, because I've had a look at the website a few times, they've got a really nice little booklet that you can download as well. And they've got a helpline, which is open Monday to Friday from 9 in the morning till midday. I'll give you up the number a little bit later. But you can actually call them, and they've got a registered nursing sister who will take your call and help you with any questions you might have or any queries about if you possibly have the condition. And that, I think, is your first step. Yes, I think that's very important. You know, one of the things, I, w I went to an American um, reproductive medicine um, conference and they had the keynote speaker who opened the whole conference for all the doctors was just a patient who was a celebrity in the United States, a chef actually, um, who talked about endometriosis and her experience as she had been through it. And it's, doctors have also liked to hear from patients and patient groups about what their experience is, what the difficulties are in terms of accessing care and so on. And one of the points that this um, particular speaker made was that there needs to be a lot more awareness for women about endometriosis. Um, and she even suggested that there should be posters in, in women's bathrooms, things like that, where people will be exposed um, to this word, endometriosis, so that they start realizing that they might have this condition or their friend that's complaining all the time about um, severe period pain might have this condition and actually could get help. That is one of, the, I think, the biggest problems with this condition is that because we've almost been conditioned for, as women from a young age that <clears throat> come that time of the month, you, it's going to be painful. And it's a case of suck it up, you know, this is what Absolutely you do and no. it's every month and get on with it kind of thing. Yeah. And so when we do have this, this incredible pain, mm. we think that's just part of being a woman. Yes, I think that's that's definitely a perception. And, and um, one of the problems is, you know, people say, oh, you're just a wimp, we all have that. But it's really not the case. It can be depilidating. Women have to take time off um, work every month, and they sort of really, the pain is so severe they can hardly walk, and they need painkillers all day. And, um, you know, they, it affects their quality of life tremendously. Um, not just the fact that they can't function um, at work or with their studies or whatever, but also it affects their self-esteem. You know, they start thinking that there's something wrong with them as a person and, and so on, mean, uh, whereas it's actually a medical condition that can be treated quite successfully. It's a case of, you know, everyone else is dealing with it. Why am I the only one that's complaining so much? Or, yes. you know, it, it's psychologically, it's very damaging. Yeah, and, and it, it gets worse as well when um, people now get into a relationship and want to have a child and then find that they're also infertile as well. So unfortunately, infertility is a very tough thing to face as well, and it's linked to endometriosis. So many of the patients have had this pain problem their whole life and then suddenly face another problem that they also can't have a child. You mentioned as well in the beginning that it's intercourse can also be very painful with this condition, yes. so that's something else. Yeah, it depends where the lesions are inside the abdomen as to which type of pain you have. Um, you can get these lesions around the ovary, just around the lining of the pelvis called the peritoneum. Um, and you can get it between the um, vagina and the rectum. That's called rectovaginal endometriosis. And that causes a lot of pain if the patient has intercourse and um, can cause bowel symptoms as well. Quite often when patients go to the doctor, they say, you know, they the abdomen feels un bloated and uncomfortable all the time. And, and the doctors say, no, you've got irritable bowel syndrome or things like that, and um, they get other diagnoses um, assigned to them so that nobody ends up looking with a camera eventually to see actually what is going on. 
Whereas if somebody did look early with a camera, with a laparoscope, they would see the patient's got endometriosis and immediately treat it surgically, and the patient would be vastly improved after that. Um, there's a, I mean, I know quite a lot of stories where women go and they have an operation and the doctors take out their appendix, for example. It's quite a common thing with endometriosis patients. So, you know, there's quite a lot of incorrect pathways along the line here, and this is a big problem for patients. So what we're trying to create is, is an awareness about this condition and also try and reroute patients early to the, the best people in this area. So if somebody's having these terrible symptoms, what is their first thing now? Do they go to their GP, their, their gynecologist, and say, look, I need to see a specialist here. I think I might have this condition. Yes, absolutely. That would be the correct step. And then most of the time, they, the, the specialist, um, gynecologist, or GP would refer them to a surgeon who's very good at endometriosis. Okay, so but the bottom line is don't leave it. You don't have to suffer in silence anymore. No, that's correct. It's an actual condition. It's, a, it's an actual condition. You're not crazy. This is a real thing. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that, that is what we need to get out there. Now, I mentioned earlier that one in 10 women, is that one in 10 women here in South Africa or is this globally? It's global, actually. And it doesn't seem to um, differ too much between different groups. Um, you know, people ask, does it affect different race groups or different socioeconomic groups or ethnic groups or anything. It doesn't seem to, it seems to be pretty standard across all groups of women. And um, there is a genetic component to it, interestingly. Um, they've shown that, uh, you know, if you're a woman and you've got it, there's a much higher chance your sister will have the same thing or your mother. So it does go in families and um, there have been genetic, um, various genes identified um, showing that it's linked together. So it's partly a familial thing going in families but not always. Sometimes it can be in one individual in the family. And if your mother's had it, then there's a good chance that you could not necessarily get it, but... It will be higher than... You've got a higher than, risk. Yeah, that's right. So how, how do we stand internationally when it comes to treating endometriosis? Are we sort of up there with the best? You know, I think so. I, I think our surgeons in South Africa and our fertility specialists are really um, very well regarded. And you can see this by how many international patients visit our doctors here for treatment. Most clinics in South Africa have got a large number of international patients flying in um, for treatment, as well as the local patients. So it demonstrates that um, the standard of our care here is in fact very good. Uh, you can also see it in the medical community. Uh, last year we had a big international meeting at the Cape Town Convention Center, um, which was hosted by the American um, Reproductive Medicine um, Society um, and Gynecological Sort of Surgery Society called AAGL. And there we had, um, you know, hundreds of doctors from the United States and Europe flying in host to, to specifically host their meeting in Cape Town so they could link up with the doctors here and share ideas and so on. So we're quite at the forefront of treatments yes, here. Yes, I, th I think we are, and I think that's great for patients that live in South Africa. You know, they really can um, get good doctors to, to help them. Gosh, that, that's actually very promising if you're one of those people suffering from this condition. If you'd like to talk to Dr. LaRue, basically you've got half of the show left to do that if you want to speak to him, 0892102010. We've been chatting all about this, so if you are suffering from this condition, by now you probably know you're not alone. There are lots of women like you out there. And if you want some advice or you just want to chat a little bit about this condition, 0892102010. So we mentioned that we were going to talk about infertility as well, and you are from the fertility clinic here in Cape Town. So just talk a little bit about, we mentioned that this could be one of the causes of, of infertility, but what else would possibly be a cause of infertility if it's not this? Okay, in, in a fertility um, uh, clinic, you know, most of the patients I in fact see are patients that want a baby and have got infertility. We define infertility as not being able to conceive within a year. So if a couple try and have a baby and nothing's happening after one year, then we think it's um, 
correct that they come through for assessment. Uh, for patients um, older, close to 40, they might even want to come sooner after six months if there's no sign of a pregnancy. Because we can do various tests and we'll look at the male and the female partner um, and, the, and the male partner will do a semen analysis um, to check the sperm is okay and, and, the, um, and the woman we will do various tests um, various blood tests checking their whole hormonal profile um, we will do tests of their fallopian tubes and pelvis like a laparoscopy um, or an x-ray called an HSG and we do ultrasounds and so on so we do various tests on both partners to try and get an idea what's causing their fertility problem and then decide on the way forward and fertility treatments some of them are quite simple just giving a simple tablet that makes you ovulate or release an egg that month um, and then it can become obviously uh, more complex like IVF which is the in vitro fertilization which means that you extract the eggs from um, from the woman and in the laboratory you fertilize the, the, um, the eggs with the sperm to make an embryo grow and then replace the embryo into the womb and IVF is a highly successful treatment it works in with uh, many different causes of infertility including endometriosis so many of the patients with endometriosis will need IVF treatment at the end of the day um, to get pregnant. And, um, but at least the service is available to them and IVF works very well. You know, there's a high, high pregnancy rate these days. The laboratories are highly sophisticated and we have fantastic technologies that allow us to help patients, whereas in the past they really couldn't have a child. The one thing I have spoken about infertility in the past, and it always came up that the age of conception seems to be getting older yes. now, and that obviously is causing more problems. Yes, absolutely. Because as you get older, you're, you're losing eggs and you don't have as many anymore. Yeah. So wh where are we finding ourselves these days? Well, I think there's, there's a global trend all around the world for people to delay childbearing. So, you know, when our parents had um, children, I think my mother had me when she was 21. Mm. So, and, you know, pretty it, standard it, it was around a standard it. at mm. that, that stage. And these days it's very different. Um, most people are studying or traveling or furthering their career. So people are only starting to think about relationships and settling down um, in their 30s. And it's been shown, um, for example, in the United Kingdom and England, the average age of from about 2005 onwards, the average age that people had children moved into the 30s instead of the 20s. So there's a general shift to delay childbearing. And unfortunately, the eggs are made um, when you're a fetus, and they're, not, um, they're all made inside the ovary when you're a fetus, so there are no new eggs produced. So as you get older, the egg quality starts to decline. And as, as soon as you go over 35, you start going to get a, a real decline in egg quality. And by the time you're at 40, the egg quality is very, very low. And a lot of people now are only thinking of having children in their late 30s and early 40s. So um, age plays a major role in terms of fertility problems these days. So and that's something that you can't really change because that is a personal decision that, that people make. So, you know. That's it, yeah, absolutely. But I think there, there should be an awareness also um, for women out there that they need to try and have a child quite soon, especially if they want more than one child. Because there's a lot of women that come and see me every day, um, you know, who in their early 40s, and they almost upset with themselves that they've delayed things so long. When they realize all the problems that they face, they say, you know, I really should have just done this two or three years um, earlier. Um, so I think the, there's an unrealistic expectation that medical science will always fix things. 
and that's not always true. So I think one also has to take some responsibility and be aware that if you want a family, you can't leave it too long. Now, I think that possibly also comes from the fact that we look, read a lot of media and you'll see these absolutely bizarre cases overseas. I don't know whether it's allowed here, that where, mm. where women of 60-odd are being sure. helped with, with IVF to have children. Yeah. I mean... I personally think that's a little bit late, you yeah, know, but sure. I mean, we read those and people think, oh, well, I'm 35, 40, oh, look, gee whiz, she was 60, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, there's quite a, um, a lot of patients that are in their 40s will end up needing a donor egg. They won't be able to use their own eggs. They'll have to use a donor egg. And um, so a lot of celebrities who, who have children, probably it's not even with their own egg if they're um, 45 or older. And um, people don't really understand that, and certainly the celebrities don't say that. So it, it creates an expectation that these, it was simple and easy for the patient to have a child, but perhaps they were doing very complicated technology, even mm. including egg donors, to get there. So if you're wanting to have children rather sooner than rather sooner than okay. later, yeah, gosh. It. And then of course we all also end up if the later you have the baby, there are also there could be health complications and birth defect complications, potentially, right. not necessarily 100, but potentially. Yes, and it's relate it relates to the quality of the eggs as well. If you go over 40, your miscarriage rate is quite high, and um, you can also have problems, fetal problems like Down syndrome and so on. Okay, I'm not quite sure what's coming up on. Oh no, Bob, there was some. Th questions coming up on the screen but uh, we'll wait for those those to come up um yes we're talking about the the quality of the egg but the other thing is from the male side the sperm just yeah look goes uh, forever yeah men are relatively lucky <laughs> aren't you always <laughs> uh, they, and you know there's there's stories of many famous men having children in the mm. 70s and i think charlie chaplin was one of them but um you know the sperm new sperm is produced in the testicle all the time um, so it's it's much easier for men to have children when they're older. So for, even for men in their 50s and 60s, they can have um, children fairly easy compared to uh, women of that age. Um, there are some problems actually with uh, men if they get older. There are some um, the sperm. There are some defects in the sperm after 50, and there's quite a lot of interesting research looking at um, older fathers and what conditions can arise in children. But it's certainly a tiny fraction of the problem compared to what we face in women. So, yeah, there is a bit of a difference in the sexes when it comes to um, reproduction. Yeah. So there's no, from, from the sperm, there's no likelihood of a birth defect being encountered, or is that just... It's much smaller. Yeah. But there is still a very slight there's possibility. A tiny, there's a tiny, there, there's certain genetic conditions that have been linked to um, older fathers. They have queried things like autism and so on. But none of them are very well proven, whereas in women, it's a, you know, there's a huge body of evidence showing that um, chromosomal abnormalities will increase um, dramatically as you approach 40 onwards. So it's from, from 35 onwards pretty much, or is it's, it not getting... Yeah, it, it will be, you know, your fertility will um, actually start declining uh, even from 32 slightly and from 35 quite a bit. Um, you know, and once you sort of around about 40, then you've got a lot of problems um, that you have to face in terms of fertility, miscarriage and fetal problems as well. So the older people actually weren't that wrong about having their children so young. No, I think I think <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, you know, it's it's one of these things, these social changes that have occurred mm. and there are many benefits to women's liberation. Um, and I think everybody supports that. But one of the problems is, uh, that we face is much larger numbers of patients having to do fertility treatments. And it can be very difficult for a couple. You know, it's, it's a hard road. It sometimes takes quite a long time. It's very expensive. And, 
you know, it's not something that uh, people wish to go through. You know, it's quite a hard, difficult road to go through. So, um, you know, I think if it can be avoided, um, it's always better. Always better. Mm. Well, we have uh, Tafatswa on the line from Johannesburg. Tafatswa, good evening. Welcome to the show. Yes, how are you? I'm oh, very well, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. You have um, a... I need to... I need to ask Um, I've got a problem. I just got married uh, last year. And now my wife so pregnant. When she goes to the scan for the three months, they say everything was well. Then for the fourth month, then they say they can't see anything. The fetus can't grow. It's not growing. Uh, then she has to she had to go to the to the theater for for the removal of the the, the cleaning of her, the womb. Yes. Now. Uh, when she goes to the gynecologist, uh, they, they say uh, maybe the problem is for the same count, I don't know. And, and that's what I need to ask her. Okay. Um, so I think that the problem that you faced initially was really one of miscarriage more than a fertility problem um, initially because it sounded like she, she got pregnant and she got to about three months and then sadly there was a problem in the um, fetus wasn't growing properly and stopped growing and there was a miscarriage, um, which is a slightly different problem to infertility. Um, with, you know, most patients, if there's a serious problem with, with fertility, they won't even get pregnant for a whole year. So the fact that there was a pregnancy there is actually a good sign. It means that potentially, it, um, uh, you know, things are not so bad. Um, but certainly, um, you know, we would normally look from the time of that miscarriage onwards. Um, if there's no conception again after that, within um, about a year, then we would normally start doing fertility testing, which would include a sperm test as well to see if there's a problem with the sperm. And if there is a low sperm count, then certainly um, you should go to a fertility specialist and they can advise you properly what the options would be. But Tafatsu, I think your, your question was really was whether the low sperm count was the, was the cause of the fact that the fetus wasn't growing. Is that what you were trying to ask? Yeah, that's what that's, I, mean, I don't know. That's, no. that's, that's not related at all, yeah. It's got nothing to do with that at all. Oh, okay. What about if if it uh, it happens for for the second time? It means it's only the the, the miscarriage. Yeah. If 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 people have um, uh, mis miscarriages are quite common. So in about fifteen fifteen to twenty percent of all pregnancies um, will miscarry. So normally we have to be careful because it's such a common thing that there may not actually be really anything wrong with either partner. And we only start investigating with miscarriage most of the time if people have had three miscarriages in a row with no healthy pregnancy. So if somebody's had three miscarriages or a row, in a row, then you should go to a fertility doctor and they will do a panel of tests looking for underlying um, causes for the recurrent miscarriage. Um, but most of the time, sperm counts and so on are not linked to recurrent miscarriage. Okay. Does that help you, Tafatswa? Yeah, I think you, I, 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 at least I understand. Great. Okay, well, okay. thanks for getting through tonight. Okay. okay good night to you. Bye-bye. Mlamli in Free State, good evening. Good evening, ma'am. How are you? Very well. How are you? All right. Thanks for taking my call. It's a pleasure. How can we help yes. you? Ma'am, we've been married for four years with my wife. Uh, I'm 47, she's now 26, and we haven't conceived since. 
So what would that doctor propose? What route should you follow? So I think um, the fact that she hasn't got pregnant for four years is important. Um, yeah. Most of the time we would expect her to get pregnant within a year. You said she's 26, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, if she hasn't got pregnant for four years, it certainly would be worth doing some tests. And um, you should go to a fertility clinic and they will do some simple tests to start with. It will be some tests on your wife where they will do an ultrasound, some blood tests. Um, they'll do some blood tests on you and a sperm test as well. And sometimes they even need to do a procedure called a laparoscopy where they look inside with a camera inside her and see what's going on. But they will do the easy test first and then decide whether it's necessary to do the laparoscopy or not. But after doing those investigations, the doctor can tell you if they've found anything wrong, if they've found a problem with you or the problem with her um, and, and what's going on. And I think it's important for you just to know what's going on. Is there actually a problem or not? Is there some kind of diagnosis that can be found? Because if they find a diagnosis, then somebody can tell you, look, this is what you need to do. You need to do IVF or you need your wife needs surgery or something like that. All right. So the best person to see, would it be a gynecologist in this case? Uh, no, it would actually be um, a fertility specialist or the proper name is a reproductive medicine specialist. Um, but a gynecologist will normally know the best person in the area. So your wife could start with her gynecologist and that person will normally refer her on. Okay, doc. Thanks. But you must ask you. She must ask for a fertility specialist, yes. Lumley. All right, doc. Okay. Great. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for getting through. Sure. Good night Bye. to you. Bye bye. I think we've got another caller coming up now. Peter in Cape Town. I'm not sure if he's on the line yet. Is Peter? Are you with us? Hello, Pete. No, Peter's about to be with us. And um, it's one of those problems when, as Mlamni was saying, four years, you said that was way too long. One year. Is that pretty much the standard? One year and then, if nothing, you should then be a yeah. little bit concerned. I think a lot of patients that do come and see us um, take a long time. They might come three years. Some patients come up to 10 years. And I think it's because it's a personal thing. Mm. You know, It's a, a problem between the couple. And sometimes they don't really want to accept that there is a problem. So, you know, they wait and keep hoping and praying that something will happen by itself. And, um, but we know that 85% of couples, if, they've, if, they're, if they're, um, they're fertile, will get pregnant in the first year and about another 5% in the second year. So once you go beyond two years and there's no pregnancy, it's highly likely that there is some kind of biological problem that needs some kind of treatment. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's true, but I think their, their situation is not unique. Many patients come and see us after quite a few years. So don't give up hope, but rather just go and find out. Because then at least, as you said earlier, if there's something they can you can do, at least you know where to start sure, and you can yeah. start doing something. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people, when they talk to infertile patients, they say, you know, just relax, everything will come right and so on. But, you know, if there really is a biological problem like blocked fallopian tubes or very low you sperm count, you know, relaxing isn't going to help. So, and patients really need to, to go and seek help. And then if you do IVF, you're going to get... Um, and a patient um, like Malamli's uh, wife, the pregnancy rate is 45% um, percent or more per treatment. Uh, if you do two or three treatments, you're going to get 85% of those patients pregnant. So, you know, there's a really high chance that you can help um, a couple like that. Um, and they'll feel much happier. You know, they'll do a couple of months of treatment with you and end up with the baby that they're longing for. Mm, gosh, what a wonderful mm. ending to the treatment. Yeah. You're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key. And this evening we're joined in studio by Dr. Paul LaRue. And he's a reproductive medicine specialist at the Cape Fertility Clinic in Cape Town. And we're talking about endometriosis and infertility. If you have any questions, you've just got 20 minutes left to the end of the show. You can call us on 0892 
0892-10-2010. Peter in Cape Town, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. That's a small problem. Okay. I would like to ask the doc. Certainly is right here. Okay, doctor. I've got a problem uh, with infertility with my wife. Yes. Uh, apparently, I consulted Kaina, and then they did um, a, a ink, I don't know, it's an ink or a dye test to check the problem, and they were saying that uh, they took my sperm and then checked if they are productive or not, but they were fine. But when they go to the female, they find that the selenium tube is locked. Okay. So they were saying that something like water inside or something is blocking. But now the only way she can conceive when she she goes through in vitro. Yes. So I want to know, is there no other way maybe uh, can be done besides that as uh, I was advised that Okay, yeah, now I'll explain to you, Peter. The one of the the follow, on, inside the woman there's the womb in the middle, and then the ovaries on either side. And there's a f- small structure, the fallopian tube, that collect, connects between the womb and the ovary. So every month the egg has to travel down the fallopian tube to get into the womb. And the the fallopian tubes are very small, fragile little structures. Sometimes they can get b- damaged from various things, and they can get blocked. And sometimes um, they can swell up with fluid. Uh, we call that a hydrosulpinx when it's full of fluid. And sounds like um, they did an X-ray in your wife, and one of the tubes was full of fluid called a hydrosulpinx. And um, the, it sounds like the other tube was also blocked. If, if the yeah. tubes are both um, blocked, then the yeah. correct treatment is IVF treatment. Um, the, you know, in IVF treatment, what you do is you take the eggs out and you fertilize them. You know, in the laboratory, so you bypass the fallopian tube. And it doesn't matter if the fallopian tubes are blocked. So the embryo is made in the laboratory, and then you put it directly into the womb where it has to grow. So it doesn't have to go down the fallopian tube. So, And it works extremely well in patients who've got blocked tubes. Where there's a tube with a lot of water in, you actually have to surgically remove that tube before you do the IVF treatment because that fluid is almost like toxic and it runs back into the womb all the time. So if you leave it there and you do an IVF treatment, when you put the embryo back inside, the, that toxic fluid running in reduces the implantation by 50% or the chance of success by 50%. So normally in her case, the best thing to do would be to do an operation, take out the one tube that's full of fluid, and then do IVF treatment, and she'd have a pretty good chance. Um, the other treatments that people have tried in the past is to try and surgically fix the tube. That's just to try and open it, you know, cut a hole in it and open it up. Yeah. And, and the surgery to fix fallopian tubes, um, it's, it's fairly easy to do the surgery, but unfortunately, very often the inside lining of the tube is damaged when it swells up with water so that it doesn't function very well um, once you open it up. So I remember, um, you know, I, I worked at Critoscare for many, uh, many years, and we did a study there at one stage where we looked at about two or 300 patients where we didn't do IVF because they couldn't afford it, and we tried to operate on the tubes, opening up the tubes to see what the pregnancy rate was. But only a small percentage of the patients got pregnant, about 5 to 10%, and all the other patients didn't conceive. So they all ended up either having to do IVF if possible, or otherwise they were um, stuck with infertility. So I think the, the, really the correct thing is to try and um, uh, access IVF if, if possible, um, because I don't think the tubal surgery options are very good. Okay. Okay. I was, I was thinking maybe uh, fix 
No, once the once the um, baby is made from IVF treatment, there's no evidence at all that it's any different from any other pregnancy. So, you know, if once our patients are pregnant from IVF, then the pregnancy care is exactly the same. So we would send them back to a general gynecologist once the patient's pregnant, and all the pregnancy care is the same. So there's no increase in fetal abnormalities or anything like that. The baby will be fine, yeah. Okay, thanks, sir. Thanks, Peter. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. CJ in Johannesburg, good evening. Hello, good evening. How are you, say, uh, ma'am and the doctor? Very well, Very thanks, well. CJ. How can we help you? Ma'am, I've got a problem, but uh, this problem is affects me. I'm getting st- stressed. Uh, I-, I needed to do a paternity test with my former wife. My wife, she left here on February last year. She was breastfeeding my child, the first child that I've got with her. Now, when she arrives in the Eastern Cape, she got another baby. She got pregnant. She got another baby. She said that the pregnancy was from my side in Johannesburg. I needed to do a DNA test. I don't know if I do a paternity test in that in that province. Is it possible that they can say that the child belongs to me if uh, with the result of the paternity test? Okay, yeah. So a paternity test is basically, um, you know, you take um, blood from the from the child and from the father, and they will compare the DNA, and and they can tell very accurately whether um, the child is yours or not. Yeah. And there is no way that they can say the child is mine if it is not mine, and they can say the child is mine if it is mine. No, it it will be accurate. Yeah, the you know on the DNA, it's a it's a um, very complicated code. So there's, it's not just like one blood group or something where it's O or B or A. On the DNA um, paternity test, there's hundreds of little genes that they compare. And um, it's, it's really very accurate. You know, It will pick up whether that there's no way the baby will be able to have all those same genes unless it comes from you. Now, that's what I needed to understand because she's stressing a lot that she come from. Because since last year, March, until March, now the baby got two weeks. Since last year, March until now, March, she got a baby two weeks ago, and she's phoning that the the baby was found in John back. So I'm still also stressing that I could not be able to do that. But anyway, thanks very much for but the, just, that, the advice. Just hang on, CJ. Hold on. You you said she left Johannesburg in March last year. March last year. And the baby was born was, now. The baby was born now, but, but that's now a year ago. What she was breastfeeding the the first baby, which is mine, which has got two years and a half. And that child, the one which two years and a half, when she was breastfeeding, there is a time when she was there in the Eastern Cape where she got sick, and she stopped not to to to, to breastfeed. Mm. Then she, I believe that she was maybe pregnant during that time when the child was now getting sick. Yeah, and I think obviously um, you're concerned about the dates and all this type of thing. So I think um, you know it's 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 safer if there's any concern to just to do the test and put everyone's mind at ease. Yeah, because I don't want it to stress and I don't want myself to stress. Just want to make a level to see where they find each other. Because uh, I mean, the state sometimes will say no, it's your wife, it's your child, because they don't want to throw the child away, and because there's a lot of children on the street. Sure. So that's what I'm about. Okay, well, just have the paternity test done then, CJ, and you'll find out. Okay, thank you. 
Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks for getting through. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, right. right, Moses, good evening. Good evening, ma'am. How are you? Very well. How are you? Fine. Uh, 40 in Victoria. Yes. How can yeah. we help you? Ma'am, uh, I wanted to ask the doctor something. My wife, uh, it's about 18 years ago, well, the problem that she had is that when she becomes pregnant, then they say, the doctor says that uh, the, 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 one of the two, uh, they can't allow the eggs to go through, even to grow. She went for uh, an operation with one of the doctors in Pretoria, and what they did say that she said, they said that she's got the Caesar. She's got the Caesar. So they made for, 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 they cut that piece in order for her to be able to can, uh, be pregnant again. But since then, uh, doesn't happen. I don't know what could be the problem because it's something that happened 18 years ago. Now it ended up even have, uh, adopted because of we realized that she, she can't be pregnant. And I don't know what the problem was. Even check my sense according to the counting as I hear that, that maybe that maybe the sense is so weak it can feel through or whatever because I'm not exactly sure what happened. Okay, so basically what you're saying is she had a cyst in, in, in the tube or in, in the fallopian tube no, or something and they removed it? Moses, did they say that the pregnancy was growing in the fallopian tube, the ectopic pregnancy? Yes, yes. Okay. So I'll explain about that. What that means sometimes is um Sometimes when the egg travels down the fallopian tube, it can get stuck in the tube, and um, a pregnancy can't continue growing in the in the in the fallopian tube. It has to grow in the womb. Um, the tube yeah. the tube is too small, so it grows for a certain amount of time, and then it will burst the tube open, and the woman can have internal bleeding. So it's quite a dangerous condition in ectopic pregnancy. If there is a pregnancy in the tube, uh, most of the time you need an operation immediately to remove the tube to prevent that tube um, rupturing, and one of the problems is if you get um, an ectopic pregnancy, it can be sometimes that something has damaged the fallopian tube that caused the egg to get stuck there. And the thing that damaged the one tube, if there was an infection, for example, that damaged the one tube, it's possible that the other tube is also affected. So some patients who have an ectopic pregnancy where um, a pregnancy gets stuck in the tube, it can mean that the other tube is also affected, and that's why they struggle to have a baby afterwards. So if you've had an ectopic, if your wife's had an ectopic pregnancy, it means number one that there is an increased chance that you might struggle with fertility, and secondly that if you, if she gets pregnant again, there's a higher chance of having another ectopic pregnancy. So if she does get pregnant again, she needs to go very early as soon as she's pregnant to a gynecologist to make sure that the pregnancy is in the right place. Well, he was concerned because this happened 18 years ago, if, I'm, yeah. if I heard correctly, and he's worrying because she still hasn't fallen pregnant yeah. since then. So I think you know. The fact that it, um, it's, it's highly likely with this history that there is tubal problems there and that you will benefit from IVF treatment, basically. Okay, I do hear, but then, as I said, 18 years ago, we ended up giving up because uh, it's discouraging me. The yeah. moment she becomes pregnant and can't grow, and I can see her in pain sometimes because of the one of the tubes, and then, according to the doctor, it was open and the was cut off by the it's a cyst not it wasn't an ectopic pregnancy by yeah. the signs, but it was a Look, cyst that I, was removed. I think i think the the wording is not always it was clear you know a, a lot of times when when people have operations 
Um, it's not entirely clear, you know, whether it was a, a fallopian tube that's swollen or whether it was a cyst or a fibroid or something, but it sounds like an ectopic pregnancy in the fallopian tube. Um, the main thing now for your wife will just be, you know, her age and whether it's possible to do IVF treatment on her. So, um, you know, but I mean, if you're really keen on still having a child, it will certainly be worth just going for a consultation with a fertility specialist so they can do some tests on both of you and see whether it's possible to help you still have a child if that's your wish. How old is your wife now, Moses? Now, she's about 47 now. Mm. So, you know, technically, I mean, she could actually have a child, but she would probably need a donor egg because of her age because I think there's another problem now in that, you know, once a woman gets over about 45, there can be problems with the egg quality as well. But she could possibly carry a baby. Um, her womb might be okay to carry a baby and they could use your sperm, but probably she would need an egg donor at age 47. Okay, thank you, Okay, Moses, thanks for getting through. Good night to you. Good night. Bye-bye now. Good. Right, Professor Macabella in Pretoria, good evening. Good evening, good evening, ma'am. Hello, how can we help you this evening, Prof? Yes, um, I'm calling because uh, this is a, an issue that has really, really been of interest to me. I'm working with a young lady who um, is very good up about um, endometriosis. Uh, and she wanted uh, assistance in terms of how do we raise awareness, particularly within you know, the, the, the African society, because issues of uh, infertility are viewed sometimes very differently. So the question I had to the doctor is, that, does she know someone within the Pretoria Johannesburg area, in, um, a doctor that we can work with, or um, uh, can he give us some advice in terms of how to go about it, in terms of uh, getting someone medically, um, you know, who has a medical background to assist us in, in, in raising awareness, particularly that I work with a number of young women in our campuses. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I would, I would probably start with the in-pain organization um, mm -hmm. because I think that's a patient awareness group who are using the media um, to try and create an awareness uh, more than a specific um, medical doctor. So, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there's, there's a website, um, www, and then the words in pain, E-N-D, and then pain, um, .co.za. So, if, okay. you, if, you, if you go on there and contact them um, and explain um, what your area is and, and, and so on, they will definitely assist you um, in terms of um, uh, probably creating better patient awareness. And we want people that are interested in this area to come forward um, so that we can put groups together. Um, to mm -hmm. work work in this area, I mean there are various doctors um, in Pretoria who are very um, good. There's there's um, Dr. Abri De Brain. He's a specialist in endometriosis surgery in Pretoria, um, and he does a lot of very difficult cases. So certainly, um, you know, he would be able to provide some medical backup. But I think the End Pain organization would be a good place to start um, if you want to get involved in patient awareness. Yes, excellent, excellent. We'll certainly follow this um, uh, because as it was uh, shared with me, I could, you know, you know, pick up the pain because she was telling me she went through years of real hell and the medication was extremely ex extensive, you know, yeah. for, 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 for her. And I said, look, if there's anything I can do in terms of giving back, because I do have influence. 
yeah. in terms of putting people together, we will have to raise awareness. Yeah. Um, and what intrigued me in your program is that it's all men that are calling. Yes, I found that quite. Yeah. I found yeah. that quite odd as well. I thought, gosh, where are all the mm. women? Yeah. It's all the men phoning in on behalf of their wives. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. great. I think it's great that they want to help their wives. I think it is good, but it was odd. Yeah. <laughs> Prof, if you mm. could, I could I put you back to my producer and could you give him your email address perhaps, yeah. and then yes, I will send I, I you would, some I information. I really, really love that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Doctor. Pleasure, and and, this, and certainly know, um, um, uh, excellent. Excellent program. Eh? Thank sure. you. I'm going to put you back to my producer now, Prof. And if you could just give him your email address, and I will email you all the contact information you might need. Sure. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you so much for getting through to us. Yeah. Just hold the line. Um, it's interesting that, that she's actually dealing with young women on campus. And yes. she, she said that, as we said in the very beginning, as this yeah. poor woman, she's the young girl she started dealing with was really having to go for years before she found out what was, was happening. I know. I think it's a typical story. And, um, you know, I'm I'm feel so sorry for these um, young women that suffer like this for many many years before um, they get medical help, and I think they're really not sure who to approach. Um, they're very fearful. They feel embarrassed. They, un, you know, scared of going for gynecological assessment. And I think for these reasons, the patient awareness groups are nice because they're more friendly, and the patient can um, speak to another woman, um, you know, who's got endometriosis um, already and who's been through these type of treatments. Um, and they will put people in touch, you know, with each other. And that way it gives people confidence to go forward to the doctor. They know what to expect. And they can see a doctor that's used to dealing with these things in a sort of gentle, sensitive way. So the patient f- feels a little bit more confident. I mean, women are known to talk amongst themselves. as We do it yeah, all absolutely. the time. And this yeah. is, so it seems to be one of those things we don't seem to talk about much amongst ourselves. Now, I, I think, you know, I often find when, when people do bring it up, then somebody brings it up um, in company, then often other people will say, you know, I also know somebody who's got this problem and so on. But Mm. sometimes people just feel it's a personal thing and they don't want to bring it up. They're scared they might get um, laughed at or um, told, you know, you're just a wimp or something like that. So I think people are a little bit nervous sometimes to bring these things up. But very often it's a good thing to do, to talk about it and create awareness and let women discuss it more and more so that people become more used to talking about these type of things. Right, ladies, we talk about everything else. Let's start talking about this. It's about time. We can just pop it into the conversation. Mm-hmm. We have we have literally so much else that we talk about. We can just add this another one thing. It's not going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to my guest this evening, Dr. Paul LaRue. He's a reproductive medicine specialist at the Cape Fertility Clinic in Cape Town. Thank you very much indeed for joining That's us on the show this evening. It's been a great pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. So if you'd like more information on endometriosis, you can contact the Endometriosis Society of South Africa by email on info at endpain.co.za or take a look at the website it's www.endpain.co.za and there's also a national helpline you can call on 076-819-4155 it's operational from 9am to 12 midday Monday to Friday and always remember if you've missed any of these contact details you can find them on the Facebook page Health Matters on SAFM or just email me for the details on healthmatters at safm.co.za. And that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel. So join me then. But right now it's over to Stephen Coker for some late night music. Hi, Stephen.